Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey guys, welcome to today's show. We are so excited to be here with you. Um, I've had a long week. I don't even know why, but it just feels long. Um, And, you know, hanging out with Lorian and our guest today was what I was really looking forward to. Today, our topic is screenwriting as a career, which I'm really interested in hearing about. Uh, We took questions on the Facebook page and have a guest to help us answer them. Our guest is Jonathan Fernandez. Jonathan is an amazing human uh, who I've known for years. I'm so lucky. Um, He started his career in Hollywood as Roger Corman's assistant and left as president of Roger's company. Uh, He went on to work for legendary producer Dino De Laurentiis and was the executive producer of of the Kurt Russell film Breakdown, a number one hit at the box office, by the way. Um, Jonathan has written features for 20th Century Fox, Warner Brothers, and Sony, as well as television pilots for NBC, ABC, CBS, and now Peacock. Um, He's written for Star Trek Enterprise, as well as the feature film Rob the Mob that starred Andy Garcia, Ray Romano, and Michael Pitt, which, by the way, I love that movie. If you have not seen it, I just love Rob the Mob. Please go out and rent it. It's awesome. So welcome, Jonathan. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. I, I told Lauren and Meg, I have heard every single episode, and I just wish that when I was starting out, I had been able to listen to this podcast. It's really game-changing. So thank you both. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. So before we get to our topic, uh, we're going to have Jonathan join us in our segment we call Adventures in Screenwriting, where we talk about our weeks. So who wants to go first? You do, Lori. Oh, God. We're not going to make our guest go first. I I had a week. I had three pitches this week and a lot of meetings. Um, each pitch was different. They were not from the same project, so and they were all uh, different styles of pitches. One was a sort of broad conversation about like what I would do with the project, how I would approach it. You know, the goal would be that um, they would hire me to do it. Um, another one was a show that I have taken out a TV show, and the one this morning, uh, it's Friday. Um, uh, was a feature pitch based on a book. So. Um, uh, I'm exhausted wow. and I feel like I have adrenaline poisoning. Um, I actually <laughs> lied down on a couch uh, between my meetings and took a 15 minute power nap. Good. Um, yeah, it's a, it was a lot and uh, I think it was too much. Uh, but I worked really hard. Um, I had a funny moment last night. You know, I'd worked so hard on this feature pitch because, you know, I really wanted to, um, you know, if I don't get the job, at least show my best, right? At least show the producer that, you know, maybe they'll hire me for something else. But then, but then after working on it for days and days and days, I got in this weird place and I said to my husband last night, I don't know if I can do this. I don't even think I'm a writer. And he just looked at me and said, I I don't want to do this right now because (laughs) it's such a, a thing that happens, right? I hit this low moment where I'm exhausted and then I have to go through this whole process and he's so good at it and he's so supportive. But last night it was just like, no, no, we're not. We're not getting. Just go to bed. 
wake up, do your pitch. It was good advice. It was was good good advice. And he stopped me in my tracks. And I didn't go down that, like, the uh, punishment track, you know, where I get to beat myself up and talk about how I'm terrible. But he was great. He was just like, no. Which doesn't make you a better pitcher in the morning. Just for any advice for out there, that does not make you a better pitcher. And so I'm really glad he did it because, you know, I had to show up on Zoom and not have red puffy eyes and be exhausted from tossing and turning all night long. He was just like, let's just not do this right now. And we went to bed and it was fine. (laughs) So, uh, but yeah, I'm really glad it's all over. Like I was sort of, this week has been hard. Um, but, uh, but good yeah. hard. I mean, like you, like you, you're you're in there. You're in the game. You're you're yeah. you're you're making up stories and pitching them and talking to executives. I mean, I know it's hard, uh, but I I totally commend you. I also want to say I apologize that the background is going to be screaming at my house. Can you hear it? Because it's the Yankee Yankee game, right? It's the <laughs> final game, uh, not the final, but if they lose, they're out. So. Uh, we have rabid Yankee fans here, so I apologize. There was just a loud scream. Oh, and here, um, here's what I'm going to apologize about. The fan on my computer is going crazy right now. It's going to pick up on the audio, and Jeff's going to yell at me later about it. But uh, And Jonathan, would you like to apologize for anything? In advance, I'd like to apologize for my dog, Peach, because at some point she will go insane. It's just a given. Okay, awesome. good. So now that we've got that out of the way. All right, um, all right uh, Jonathan, how was your week? My week uh, started off fabulous and hilarious star gave us his notes. And when you get notes from a star, it's always a terrifying moment because you never know what are they going to be. And our notes, Meg, were great. And so it's one of those things that when you get a note from a star, you're just always worried because as I always tell people, there is no worse job in the world than being an actor. There's no better job in the world than being a star. So we got notes from a star and they turned out to be brilliant and wonderful and kind of gave us a a good twist. So that was a fun Monday. Um, And then I was given a book. And so this is something that happens to me. I get, there's certain genres of books I am given. This one was by a former head of the CIA. And so it's like, you're waiting for all the great stories and they were just kind of boring. So what do you do when you get a book from someone and you know it's an important book and you know it should be a really big idea kind of book and it wasn't there. So what I am going to do is have a conversation with this former spy master and see if we can find what that original story is that no one's ever heard before. And if nothing else, I'll have good dinner party conversations about the last time I sat down with a former head of the CIA. Nice. I <laughs> so like that. So that was really fun. Cool. Um, and then the other thing I had happen was I am working on a pitch uh, with Raymond DeFalita, who wrote Rob the Moth. And so we're working together on a pitch and we have a producer we're working on. And she came back to us with her notes on our pitch. And as I tell all new writers, writing is rewriting. And so we got her notes, they were really good. And so I spent this week rewriting the pitch for the umpteenth time. So there we go on that. Yeah, and rewriting. Then, rewriting. Rewriting. Yeah. Rewriting and then rewriting again. And then here was the other moment. I was helping out uh, two different sets of new screenwriters with their idea. And they had a really, both of them had great ideas. And I mentioned two different films that were both right in the same genre as the film they were writing. And these were huge kind of films that were kind of major films in that genre. And in both groups, neither group had seen the film. And I thought this is such an important lesson 
which is if you're going to be going, taking out a film, you're going to be meeting people who love this genre because that's who's going to be reading your script. You have to know your genre backwards and forwards. You have to know it because you're going to be sitting in a room with people who this is their life passion. This is what they love more than anything. And if they say to you, what do you think about The Shining? And you go, I haven't seen it. They're going to look at you and go, why are you here? Why are you here? And so I just think that you know, and this is part of the fun of being a writer is that you get to do all that research and you get to sit down. And if you're writing a film in the, you know, if it's a, a movie where people are trapped in a a, a a mountain resort, you better know The Shining backwards and forwards. And and by the way, you should also have read the Stephen King novel and the other version. And so you can. I like be- I like to tell uh, young writers, you better have seen the best five of the genre and the worst five mm-hmm. of the genre so that you're not just repeating the worst either. <laughs> like the worst can give you really good instructive uh, lessons uh, because they know the worst. I mean, uh, as well because they love the genre. So they've seen it all. So great, great advice, Jonathan. Totally. Um, and we're going to go on to more advice now. Oh, no. Oh, I've said my week. Oh, How was your week? Okay. I do have to do my week, too. No, my week was good. I mean, it's nothing. Uh, I don't know why it felt long. I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, I'm iterating on a project that I have been iterating on for about four months. And, um, and I mean, like, deep iteration, like, okay, let's go again. Let's completely change what the main relationship is. Let's completely change where it is. Let, deep, deep concept iteration for four months. I think I'm on version. We just iterated two new versions, which I, you know, I think it's like sec- 16 and 17. I don't know. I mean, and I mean, some of these versions, we've gone all the way out to like 40 page treatments. So um, I, I think my brain is tired. Um, and I took some time off too. But um not in a bad way, just in a kind of, you know, 20th round in the ring, you're going to go down around again. Um, but I, I, I still love it. I still find it exciting to work these puzzle pieces and try to figure them out. It's all still uh, deep love of what I'm doing. Um, it, I did, though, see on our Facebook page, which I wanted to mention, that um, one of our um, listeners, Joni Brainerd, um, commented on last week's show when we were talking about diving in. And um, she said that when we spoke of that, it reminded her, you know, we spoke about it can feel like an ocean that you're jumping into scary waves, right? And it reminded her of her triathlon training and swimming in lakes, she said, in windy Kansas. And, you know, she said, um, there is often a lot of chop to, the, to deal with, and I drank my fair share of icky, acky lake water. And my coach reminded me that um, this is all surface clutter. If I just stick my face down into the water, hence below the surface, it's calm down there, and I can settle down and swim to my heart's content. And she's always equated that with writing, endure the chop, spit out some of the bad stuff, then go deeper for the good stuff, and then just keep swimming. Um, and then there's a great drawing that she is, her inspiration is this wave drawing now that she has over her desk, which you can go on the Facebook page and see it. It's awesome. And so, it, A, I just wanted to share that with you guys who aren't on the Facebook page because I thought it was awesome. I've been using it this week. I've been in a lot of chop. Um, again, not from anybody else, just from myself, right? Wanting better and more, make it work, make it work. That's a Band-Aid, I gotta go again. 
Um, so I wanted to give you guys that. And I'd love to see on the Facebook page your inspirations. Like um, Joni said, this is her inspiration, this giant wave it reminds her of this. You know, I have um, a photo of a female warrior I often look at because I feel like I've got to be a warrior to stay in and hang in and go again. Um, so post on the Facebook page any of your inspirations. It could be a quote. It could be a visual. Um, I would just love to see them. I, um, and plus, it would inspire us. I will be posting a picture of a giant burrito. <laughs> <laughs> Explain that, Lori. How is that about storytelling? It's How is that about the screenwriting trick? It's because I'm hungry and I really want a burrito. <laughs> and it's inspiring me. Okay. Uh, I will. I, you know what? Please post the burrito. We can make a collage of all <laughs> of the I, food. I agree with that you. We I want saw to eat. that quote and I thought it was really moving and um, it was really helpful actually as I was working this week on that pitch. You know, just like instead of uh, worrying so much about what am I going to do and how am I going to do it, I just did it. Right? Yeah, just put your face in the water, yeah. man, because the rest is just chop. I love yeah, it. it was Joni, great. thank you so much. Yeah. Um, you know, so let's talk about our, our guest, Yay. why our guest is here. Now we're doing Jonathan. Yay. And we're not going to do the, uh, the question section, obviously, because the whole topic is going to be your questions from the Facebook page, guys. Um, so, Jonathan, one of the questions was, when is it safe, if ever, to give up the day job? Such a great question. Uh, I will tell you that I remember, so I had worked First as Roger's assistant, I had done almost every job. I I was his, I, I ran his marketing department. I did his home video company. And then I worked for Dino De Laurentiis. And all that time, I was reading scripts <laughs> that were being submitted to us. I was writing scripts. And I finally wrote a script that I thought was good enough for an agent. I sent it out to an agent. And the agent read it at ICM. And he loved the script. And he said, this is the one. And so I was like, OK. And so it was like a perfect moment. Like, breakdown had come out. I had money saved up, so that would be first thing. Do you have money saved up? Can you weather the storm? And then he was like, we're good. This is going to sell. And so I thought when he said this is going to sell, he meant this is going to sell. So that is not what happened. So so six months later, right, because he then said, I need this change, that change. He went out with a spec and he called me up midday and he said, Johnny, he was a British agent, Johnny, we sold it for a million dollars. And I was like, woo, we made it a million dollars. This is great. And then the end of the day came around, sorry, the bid fell through. And oh. So six months, script does not sell. Okay. So oh I'm in complete and utter panic. Now I'm also, by the way, living in a rent control apartment, single in Santa Monica. So I don't have family. I don't have mortgage. I don't have all these kind of responsibilities. Um, but the good thing was, and again, this is in a different time. This is in a time when feature specs were selling and people really did sell specs for a million dollars. In all those meetings I was sent out to, a producer said to me, I have an idea. And here was the idea he wow. pitched to me. He said, I have an idea for a movie. You ready? The weather. And I thought, <laughs> I didn't miss a beat. And I said, oh, I've got a great weather script. Let me come back to you next week. And I will, I will, you know, bring you my pitch. And of course, I didn't have a weather movie. I spent the next week coming up with a weather movie. I went back in and I pitched him that weather idea and it sold. And that was my first time as a paid professional writer. 
So what there's is a, the advice a, you would a, give? A, 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 a... So my advice is one, do you have money saved up? Because this is not a job where you are going to get a regular paycheck. There's not a paycheck coming every other Friday. You don't have that coming in. So you better be prepared for the ups and downs. Um, you know, usually people give the financial advice of, oh, you should have six months of savings. Well, if you're a writer in Hollywood, and I, I, I remember I was sitting next to early in my career, I was flying to New York and I was seated next to a pretty yep. significant writer in coach. And he asked me what I was doing. And then he, out of nowhere, he said, have you gone a year without earning any money? And I looked at him and I, I was really kind of like young and I, you know, me a year without earning any money. And I said, no. And, you know, three years later, I went a year without earning any money. And it has happened multiple times in my career. And that is terrifying. And that is something that people won't tell yeah. you about. So it is real. So for me, the moment was I had written a script. Uh, I had an agent who believed in it. And I was ready and willing to take that leap. Um, I know people who've gotten hired on staff on TV shows and then have had to go back yeah. to being assistants. So, you know, however you're going to make your finances work, that's you. But it is there's there's no guarantee. There's no like, and now you've made it and you are going, you're good. There's no and you're good. Um, so I think it's really important for people. It's an individual decision and you're going to have to take that leap. And again, for many people, the answer is don't quit the day job. And you're going to have to figure out when you feel you have that momentum in your own career. So I would also say in terms of when are you ready to quit your day job is how many samples do you have? Um, I don't think one script will cut it anymore. I think they need to see that you have more than one in you and that you can write in a particular genre um, or a particular, let's say, drama genre or like, you know, within a within a shoot that you that you can write um, and have samples. And I would also say, and just to be crass about it, it is a business, they need to sell you. So can they sell you? What is your hook? What are they selling? Here's a great new writer who can what? You know, what is the thing they're selling that feels unique or that the industry needs? Does that mean that you should write things to the industry? No, it does not. Write what you love, that's what you're gonna be great at, but then at some point you have to look back at what you love and what you're writing and how people are responding to you in terms of what they're loving about it. You can hear when people say, I loved this, I loved how you did that. That's starting to show you what your hook is and why people need to hire you because you're really, really great at character development and thematic and emotion. You're really, really good at world building. Does that mean you have, don't have to do all that other stuff? No, the assumption is you can do all that other stuff. But if you're looking for an incredible world builder, this is your writer. Or how is that manager agent going to sell you? You have to really think through these things for yourself. Um, you, well, I know to even get the manager or agent but um, in terms of quitting your day job, those are the kinds of things I think you have to be at, the level you have to be at, in order to think you're going to make money to, to exist on, right? And if you're married or have a partner who's willing to take on the financial burden, that's great. That's what I was able to do. My husband was like, okay, we made a deal. For this many years, I'm going to take care of it. And then for we switched. You know, at some point, he wanted to be able to go concentrate on directing, and I took it on. So, you know, you have to really think through that kind of stuff. I also just want to say, Meg, 
when I say I had a script ready to go out, I had written countless scripts that were just worthless. And then I had written one script that got an agent's attention. And he said to me, but this will never sell. And it was then the, the, the next script is the one that he said, okay, this one. So there's a whole draft after many, many different scripts that are still in my drawer. And I found them in my garage when I was COVID cleaning. <laughs> Hey everyone, so the new version of Final Draft, Final Draft 13, is out. And, you know, the question's going around, is it worth it? Is it worth it to buy or upgrade? And our answer is yes. So I recently got notes on a pilot, and I want to see how it works in my rewrite to move a couple of scenes. And usually what I do is, you know, cut and paste, uh, which works out sometimes, but mostly it means I lose text because I move so quickly. But the new version of Final Draft has this cool feature called Navigator 2.0, where you can actually just move scenes around right in your script. So without losing something, I can see what's working, what I'm missing, or what needs to be rewritten, or you know, if I have to lose the scene altogether. But it's really, really helpful. And what's most important to me about this is that I'm not losing anything. Woohoo! Yes. I am laying out a new project, and I want to card it. And I can now do that inside of Final Draft, and it's now a super easy way. You can take those cards and then make them into an outline with a simple drag and drop. So it's just a great way to see the larger story that you're writing and get down the details, track characters. I just love it. And for our emerging writers, a great new feature is Final Draft lets you set writing goals like page count or timed writing sprints, which is super cool. So uh, we think the new version is really worth uh, investing in. So you can head over to finaldraft.com slash products to get the new version with a discount code of ScreenFD for 25% off. You should check it out. That's ScreenFD. S-C-R-E-E-N-F-D. Absolutely. Now, there is a twist, which is that uh, three months later, because again, I had a background as a producer, I did find another producer and they ended up buying that script. So it ultimately sold, alas, not for a million dollars, but it did sell. But he's talking, yeah, he, that just right now, sometimes it's just where the buyers are, right? Like it has nothing, they might love it, but that's not what they're looking for. Or there's so many reasons people don't buy things. Um, and by the way, I also wanna say, right now in the industry, uh, in 2020, going into 2021, most people aren't developing really the way they used to, Jonathan, when we started. I mean, it's not like, oh, I love that idea. Let's pay you to go develop it. Let's, or I love this script, but it needs a lot of work, but let's just buy it and we'll do the work with you. That is not what's happening. It has to be really, really close to going um, in order for them to consider a purchase. So it, it, it is a little different now. There's much more onus put on you, the writer, um, or you with your producer or whoever is with you to really get it at, to a, a top-notch script. Um, all right, next question is, is it better to write scripts that showcase your skill within a specific genre like drama, comedy, or horror? Or should you try to have a diverse range of samples that demonstrate your range of ability in different genres and or formats? Um, I, again, I love this question and I would pretty much say what you just said, which is you need to write your passion. What are you jumping up and down about? And then you need to see where are you actually, do you have a skill set? So I can tell you that early in my career, I was sure that I was gonna be the next great romantic comedy writer because I'm a great 
romantic person and I'm funny and all these things. And I tried, I wrote so many romantic comedies and those are the ones in the drawer and they just never ever worked. So, so you, you may find that you have a skill set in like, I, I found that there were films that I was writing that I thought the world was ready for. And they, I never got any traction with any of them. On the other hand, uh, the films that I ended up writing that, people did like kind of tapped into a deeper core within me, which was the, 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 the same man in an insane world. So suddenly CIA stories, suddenly young madly in love couples who decide to rob the mob. So those type of films, suddenly I found that people loved my voice there and that's where I found that I was getting work and that's where people were excited about me. I mean, really hear that you guys, I really want our listeners to hear what he's saying. He's saying that when he went into the lava, and went down to his personal experience of being the only sane person in an insane world and started to tap into that, that's when how he, the specificity of his voice starts coming out. It's because it's what he knows. It's what he feels in his guts. You know, so that's when people are start to start to say, well, who's this writer, right? So I understand that, and I just gave the advice of careful not to write in too many genres because I do think that's hard to sell. They don't know how to sell that. But the most important thing is to write into the lava, into your guts, and what you're, again, it's what you're passionate about, but like Jonathan said, you might be passionate about romantic comedies. That doesn't mean your gut's over there. Maybe that's where you escape, and so when you write it, it all feels kind of fake, because it's your escape valve versus the lava. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, he's really, I really love that, Jonathan, that it's when you started writing into that deeper stuff that um, you found your niche. And, and I will credit you, Meg, you sent me to Nancy Bacall to okay. sit down and get in touch with my voice. You said, you've got all these skills. And I had a career at that point, but what sent me to the next level was spending all that time in a writer's class where she was all about finding your true voice, your emotion, all those kind of things that are coming from inside you. Yeah, and, she's a, and she does that through memoir writing where you would have to sit with a group every week and she'd read a poem or she talks about a certain topic and then she's like, okay, go write. And you have to write for the next two hours. Memoir, like whatever it is about you that's come up, it could have been in your childhood, it could be yesterday, and then you had to read it out loud. And you had to get notes on it right there. And the notes weren't about quote unquote writing craft, they're about you know what, I was so with you, you were so daring, I was holding my breath, and then all of a sudden, it just kind of didn't go, like, and you're like, okay, that's where I totally cheated. Like, they're really taking your hand and guiding you back to the lava, back to the lava, or, you know, right here, it just felt like this is what you do sometimes, you know? Sometimes you just start making jokes, right? When we're thinking it's gonna go deeper, and you're like, oh my God, I'm in pattern. So it just was like this light. I don't know, Jonathan, how you felt, but it was always this very supportive light, and I have found listening to other people go into lava, Boy, they learn a lot of their bravery and when you're leaning in and when you're not and when you're listening to the bravery and the beautiful writing of that lava all around you every week, it just really starts to train your brain how to drop into it. Um, Nancy's in Los Angeles. Um, I just saw her in the Leonard Cohn documentary. It was crazy. Um, and, uh, you know, you don't have to have, you know, Nancy's amazing and I, she's a wonderful guide, but... The, the lava writing is really um, what we're talking about in terms of- What I will say one other thing in that, it, and, and again, if you have that kind of experience, for me, it was the immediacy of the feedback. 
you'd be reading and all of a sudden people would be like staring up the ceiling to go, oh, I guess I lost them. I guess like, and that kind of audience, that kind of, whereas when they were leaning forward and you could tell that your personal story, your your story from your childhood, from your fight with your wife, whatever it was, that that story was gripping. And that that really did deepen my writing. I think that's also about your voice, right? Finding, identifying, and knowing your own voice. When I was studying playwriting, that was so much of how we did it. We had guest writers come in and it was write for two hours and then read out loud. And I really, you can tell when the room settles in a certain way, when people are listening. And that was, that really helped me define, oh, here's here's my voice. It's such a strange thing to talk about. It's so hard to define, but it was it was the magic of that lava coming out of telling the truth, you know, hidden under layers of character. But um, uh, I, <laughs> and yet, I, but, but you're right. Having the audience right there in front of you and watching them lean forward, um, you know, uh, you know, we highly recommend it. Yes. We highly, all of us have done it, which is kind of amazing. I do think it's an interesting thing too. What you were saying about you really love rom coms. Like I love comedy, but I tend to write things that are a little darker. Right? I don't write straight comedy. I'm funny, but I, I, could, I don't write like single cam sitcoms, you know. Um, well, that's funny because I'm writing one now. But uh, never mind. <laughs> never mind about that. Cut that. that cut that. Never, cut it. Cut it. Cut it. <laughs> cut it from the podcast. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know. The I thing- think a lot of single camera comedies yeah. actually are, are very deep yeah. and darker. And let's face it, most comedians are dark, man. They are dark. What? Um, what? Oh, yeah, my but uh, I just think it's interesting what we like and what we write might be different. What we like yeah. to watch and what we like to write. All right, the next question was, Jonathan, what are the benefits of joining the WGA and what are the differences between an associate membership and a full membership? How are things between the WGA and agencies a year after the big dispute last year? And are agents even necessary at this point? This is a big question. And with COVID restrictions the way they are, how do you suggest writers prepare to adapt for the next year or so of production? So let's just start with the first one. Um, What are the benefits of joining the WGA, the associate member versus full member? Okay, so first of all, the reason why the WGA was formed, the reason why you wanna join the WGA is about writing credits. So before the Screenwriters Guild was formed back in the day, who determined the credits? Credits were determined by the studio, by the producer. And maybe the producer gave it to his girlfriend, or maybe he gave it to his kid, or maybe he gave it to his assistant. And so as a member of the Writers Guild, you know that your credit is going to be determined by other professional writers. So that's why the Guild was formed. Now, as a member of the Writers Guild, You also get health insurance, which is the best in the world. You get a pension after working for five years, which nobody has a real pension anymore. And then, uh, there was one other benefit, but it'll come to me. Um, The difference between being an associate member and a full member is that once you write 24 units, and 24 units are basically defined as a screenplay, Once you write a screenplay, you are eligible for full membership, okay? Associate members, maybe you wrote a treatment, maybe you wrote on staff for six weeks, okay? There really isn't any difference between associate membership and full membership. The only real difference is voting rights. So once you become a full member, you are a member for the next seven years, 
Okay, you get all the rights and privileges for seven years. If you sell something subsequent to that, you get four more years. And so if for whatever reason you've sold something for seven years and then you don't sell something for those seven years, you become a post current member. And again, you have all the rights and privileges of a WGA member. The only difference is you can't vote in guild elections. Other than that, there's no difference. I really, you guys, one of the happiest days of my life was when I got my WGA card. I took a picture, I sent it to everybody I knew. Um, there are so, so many reasons to be a WGA member. Um, all the reasons Jonathan's talking about, let's talk about health insurance. Let's talk about when our writing fee was late, the WGA called and got that money when every, nobody else could get it um, because they are, they are allowed now with the new um, deal to Im impose a um, interest that's rising every day they're not paying you. And trust me, before this, you could not get paid for like months and months and months. And you know it's a serious thing for them to pay you when your contract says. And the other reason is the community. I love the community of the WGA. I love, there, there's all kinds of um, groups and councils and things that um, people are working on from diversity to women to just all kinds of great, great community stuff. And I highly recommend, even if you're not a member, if you're in Los Angeles, when COVID is over, there are there's events the WJ sponsors that you don't have to be a member, but you can go and meet other writers and meet people who are in the same soup as you, you know, and here you're not alone. And we hope we get that from this podcast, but you can get it face to face um, from other writers. So I, I, I really can't say enough about uh, the WGA and, and how lucky we are that it exists and people work so hard for it, like Jonathan, who was a board member for so long. Um, so so Jonathan, I want to add, add oh, wait, 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 I, I yeah. do want to add two other things that I, that I did remember the one other thing okay, I wanted good. to add, which is good. residuals. Okay. People assume, you know, those nifty checks that people get. If you're, so if you're a, a you, you're doing a short film and you are not WGA and your film airs on HBO, you get paid nothing. And there are producers who will tell you, oh, don't worry, you don't need a WGA contract. If you do, if you don't do a WGA contract, and I know people who wrote movies that generated multiple, multiple sequels, and those movies have generated them zero in residuals. So even if you're doing your own little short film, call the guild. If your film, gets remade, if your film gets aired on HBO as a short, you will then be get residuals. And I'm going to give Meg and Lorian, I'm going to give your listeners a great secret, which is the Writers Guild is there for all writers. So if you have a question, if you have a problem, if you have, even if you're not a member, you can call the Writers Guild and they will put you in touch with someone who will help you. And so the Writers Guild is this amazing organization but it's not just for the members, it's for anyone who has a question or a problem or some sort of writing related issue that they need help with. Fantastic. Okay, so do you wanna give us the update on the agencies, um, the dispute last year about with the agents and where we are with that. And we can make this short because I don't know, you know, this is like time sensitive. Yeah, this is, and, you this, know, this is, podcast is going to be on for 10 years. So yeah, so <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it really simple, which is the Writers Guild believe that your agents work for you. That in other words, if you make $100, they should make $10. And so what we really pushed for was an end to packaging. Packaging meant that your agents could be earning more. They may have an incentive to not have you be on the TV show. Their allegiance was to the network, it was to the TV show. We have gotten 
all of the agencies, all of the agencies to sign our agreement except two. We are very close with the two. I hope it happens quickly. But the point is, this is going to be yesterday's news and going to be long forgotten. And we're all going to be like, I can't believe it was ever any different than this. Correct. Um, And and, and people forget that. Like, people forget that before the Writers Guild, there was no health insurance. There was no pension. There was, writers didn't determine. So all these things just become givens. And this is going to be one of those things that is just a given. So for right now, that's where we're at. So I want to go back a little bit to talk about um, what does it mean to qualify to be in the WGA? Because I've seen questions like, do I want to join? Uh, Should I join? How do I join? So I think that how do I join, that qualifying, you know, you have to write a feature that's for a WGA signatory, right? And so like uh, when uh, Meg and I sold a pilot, uh, it wasn't enough points. So I became an associate member. But, um, you know, when I first started, because a pilot, it was only half an hour or so. And it was a single cam comedy. Look at that. There, we're back to that. Um, (laughs) So I don't know what I'm talking about ever. But um, but sort of, you know, you have to be invited to join, right? When the... Well, in in that the person person paying you has to be a signatory of the WGA. Right. Exactly. Um, And that is important to know. and, you know, we, we won't get into animation writing and all of that and how they're not part of the Writers Guild. Um, and, and I just want to say one other thing, which is the first feature I ever wrote for Roger Corman was non-guild. There's many reasons why people write non-guild films. You know, I don't think you can make a career doing that. I think I was paid $500 for my first feature, in which I, down, I you know, figured out the end of the Cold War in a Roger Corman movie. So, so but but the point is, is that you, you, people write non-guild movies and there's a lot of reasons to do it for them. It's just, it's not going to be a career. Mm. Right. So COVID restrictions, uh, the way they are, do you have any suggestion, Jonathan, about how writers prepare to adapt to the next year? Uh-huh. Yes, wear a mask and wash your hands. I <laughs> know. <laughs> but come on, because of production, do you see anything? Or You know, I've heard there's a little bit, you know, again, this is very timely, so we don't want to spend too much time on it, but... Um, I personally don't think you should write different stories. I don't think you should write like COVID stories necessarily because I think number one, I personally don't want to watch no. COVID story. No. I want to watch normal things. But I also think, you know, um, we're going to come out of this and life will go back to, um, uh, I don't know, normal is a, is a funny word. Let's not say normal, but let's say a non-mask, non-virus uh, life. Um, is there anything practical, though, in terms of things not going into production, Jonathan, that you've heard of? I can tell you that many shows are in production. I was on a Zoom call recently. Uh, uh, Blackish is filming. SWAT is filming. Yeah, uh, and, and my friend Annie's on a three-camera show, which is literally, think about three cameras in a studio. They are filming. They, they test every day. I mean, so it's, it's happening. Yeah, so people are working. I, I agree with you 100%. I think you don't want to be writing your mask comedy unless you plan on filming it on Zoom next week because I think it's going to have a short half-life, that type of material. Um, so, Jonathan, I, I want to ask you a question for, um, that has come up that people have asked me, um, and it's about what to be writing when you're a new writer in terms of, like when you talked about going in and the guy was like, I want to do a weather movie. And then you spend all this time working on it and he can pass, right? And then, you know, should you be developing your own specs? Should you be doing both? Should you be optioning things? Like, as a, in terms of building a career, right? We've talked about when you're ready to go out, but 
in terms of building that career, how, what is, you and I have had great conversations about that, and I just wanted to share it with our listeners. So I, I just, every writer should understand that the U.S. Constitution is your best friend. In the U.S. Constitution, it's the only law that's in there is copyright. So copyright is your unique expression of an idea. So if someone says to you, I've got an idea, the weather movie, that's not anything. If someone says to you, Meg, I want you to write the movie, it's called Canada, that's not a movie. If someone says to me, I want a haunted house movie, that's nothing, okay? That's just a concept and concepts are not copyrightable. What it is copyrightable is the unique expression of your ideas. And the great thing about the US Constitution is as soon as you hit print, as soon as you write your document, it's yours. Now, the risk for a new writer is that someone comes to you with a book and they say, I want you to adapt this book. And the problem now is you do not own the book, okay? If someone comes to you and says Canada or someone says weather movie, Jonathan, I now am the owner of my unique interpretation of weather movie. And so I always feel for new writers, you're much better off going in with your own idea. If you wanna option a book, that's great. If you wanna take a public domain idea, I think that's great. You know, you can you can adapt Macbeth, you can adapt, you know, uh, 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 Frankenstein. There's so many things you can adapt that are in the public domain. But I think it's very risky if someone comes to you and hands you an idea because you in the end are not in control of that idea. And like they could hand you like here, we came up with this idea that then it starts to get really wonky, right? Like who owns that copyright? How many how many elements did they give you? And, you know, worse, you do all this work and then they don't go forward. You know, that's right. also the thing that I think happens to a lot of young writers is they're, they so want that first job, which is understandable, that they're, they're doing all of this work. Um, and yet, at some point, you got to be paid for that work. Like, Jonathan, you and I talked about that the other day. Like it, and, you know, and maybe for young writers, they can't do what you did. But I loved what you said about um, at some point, how much can you develop with a producer or somebody before you have to say, okay, you got to pay me. So I believe that there's a, a, it's a very funky system right now. And it's partly because of the way studios are working. We were talking about producers, which is so here I come into a producer and I told this producer my idea and he said, great, great, great. I love it. And he's the producer for a major star. Okay. So the star is added value. If I walk into a studio with my idea plus this star, that equals sale. So I work and I work and I work with this producer on my idea. And after six months, a lot of meetings, right? The producer's like, meh, not so much. Now, I had written up what my idea was. So I had, you know, you can all, you can all go to the Writers Guild and they'll give you a, you can, you can register your idea. Why do you register your idea? It's nothing more than a time date stamp. It says, Jonathan had this idea on January 1st, okay? So I can always come back to, if I wrote a script based on my idea from January 1st, it is my idea. That is why it's important to register your ideas. Believe it or not, it's just as good if I were to send this idea to my agent or to my manager or to someone else, that counts as a time date stamp also, okay? But that for a new writer, the reason why you register your idea it's because you want to say, no, 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 that wasn't your idea for a movie about Canada. It was my idea. 
And did you, And but you told me once that at some point you said, okay, if you want me to keep doing this, you got to pay me at a certain rate a day. And again, I understand that brand new writers can't do that, but I think it's not just brand new writers who are listening to us, right? That, right. that at some point, it's tricky, right? Because so, I was a producer, I get it. You want to develop things with writers. Um, I, you know, I just, I guess I want to say that there are really good producers out there who you can trust and who are wholeheartedly developing something with you and will do this. they will do right by you. Um, there are also predators out there who are looking for young writers who are talented, who they can use to get their stuff to move forward. They may not own the rights under underlying. You, they say, you don't need a contract with me. We don't need to write anything down. Um, I would be very, very, very leery of that. If you're going to do work for six months or three months and you're a new writer, I would get some sort of contract, even if it's just a form, um, with that person about your rights to that underlying material, to what you're doing. Um, and we're going to maybe have a show with a lawyer in, in case if you guys want that to really talk about these things because I'm not a lawyer. I cannot advise you that way. But um, I just want you guys to be careful in the enthusiasm to begin your career and listen, it's going to happen. It's happened to all of us. It's kind of like, you know, it's, a rite of it's kind of like the, and I would it's like, a rite of passage into yeah. the business. So when it happens to you, don't hate yourself. Just know, help. Oh, there it is. Yeah. I, I, I made that mistake and got in bed with that predator. Um, but, you know, just know they're out there. The Writers Guild is there for you if you get into that situation and you're not even you're not in the WGA, as Jonathan said, call them and say, here's the situation. And they'll they'll help you and have some honest feedback for you about what to do. But um it, it can I, get tricky, I, I you guys. It can get tricky. Yeah. The point you were asking about, now I get where you were going to. I I get all these foreign producers who will call me up. And a lot of times I don't believe they're real. And so I will meet with anyone once. And I kind of feel like I'm happy to do a second follow-up meeting. But past that, I now tell people I want $1,000 per meeting. Because what that does very quickly is it weeds out people who are not real. And if people do want to keep meeting with me, I'm thrilled to keep meeting and talking. But I feel like what that does is it weeds a lot of people out very, very quickly. And, and Jonathan, think, you're, Jonathan's an established writer, so he can ask for $1,000. But if you're new, even if you said 100 bucks, like your ideas, your time is worth money. Um, uh, and if you don't want to do that, I totally get it. But just think about your value as a writer um, and... Um, at least work towards that, you guys. Work towards um, that, that that people will pay you for your time and your brain. You are giving them ideas, people. You are giving them, you're taking your time and your brain power and your skill as a creative person and handing it to them, right? And it's tricky, right? Because it's just words, it's stories. But, you know, if we were making shoes and you handed them the whole new mold and casting for a new pair of shoes, that would be valuable. That is a thing that you worked on. So um, I just, I feel protective but also, of writers. this isn't just something that's, that's uh, happening for young writers, right? This is like an everyday thing, I think, for other, like... I'm going through something similar, right? Like I'm pitching on open writing assignments, which is them giving me IP or them giving me an idea. And then I'm coming back with a fully fleshed thing. And it's, it turns into just a ton of free work, right? And well, and then you get into the bake-off, right? And Where and so how many people they're, are they meeting? They're, yeah, They're hearing my pitch. They're hearing five other people's pitches. And then ultimately they're going to pick one, but they've heard all these amazing ideas, you know? So it's, it's hard not to, you know, 
assemble all the best ideas from all the pitches. So I'm sort of in a place now where I'm like, okay, I, I don't know if I can keep doing the, the open writing assignments, right? Because I, instead of working on my own ideas or developing something else, I'm developing something for someone else. So it's not just young writers or inexperienced writers. It's sort of, it's sort of where, what, what comes to you. And I get excited about things too, right? Like these are ideas that I'm like, yes, I love this. I'm the one to write this. And then I realize, oh, I just spent two weeks working on this. And I'm probably not going to well, get Jonathan, it. The show that Jonathan and I eventually sold was based on underlying material. And Jonathan, we worked like six months on that almost a year before we saw a dollar. Um, so, you know, any level of writer, you're going to get into this long run to get to that check. Um, and, you know, I think it's stuff that, you know, it's to be brought up. The WJ, I'm sure, is talking about it. And I won't put you on the spot, Jonathan. But, um, you know, it, it, it is something that you will do. You will go for the open writing assignments. You will work with producers to develop material. You're going to do it. But always still be developing your specs mm -hmm. because that, in my opinion, is your true power. This is your voice. You own it. You can go out with it. It's also going to help you with your craft and getting it up to speed um, versus the kind of treadmill of the open writing assignments can get really exhausting and take a lot of your energy um, versus at the end of a spec, you at least have a spec, man. You at least right. you got something, right? Yes. Um, so again, I'm not saying don't do that, but always take time every day to work on your spec because that's your, that is the base. That's the base you should be building on. Um, even if it doesn't sell, it's a great writing sample to get the job. Like there's nothing bad about having that great spec. Um, so I don't know, maybe I went off topic there a little bit. No, but, uh... I, I, I can't <laughs> emphasize that enough. I think the open writing assignments are so dangerous, yep. you know, for, for writers from beginner to Oscar winner, because if you go for that open writing assignment, you put all that effort in, at the end of the day, what do you have if you don't get the assignment? You know, on the other hand, if, if someone says to me a weather movie and I come up with my weather movie and they say, no, it's not for me. And Meg, I agree with you. There are predatory producers, but sometimes a producer just goes, yeah, the way you took it is not interesting. Most, At most are that, great. Most are great and it's fine. But I'm just saying, you no, know. No, no, no. But my point is, is that at least if I had come back with my weather idea and that producer was like, man, not so much then at least I now have a weather script that I can write. I have a weather pitch. I have all of those kind of things. So for me, I think it's so important that you own the copyright, that you be in charge of your destiny that way. I, I just can't emphasize that enough. And then, Lorian, to your point, uh, what you are describing, these bake-offs where people come in and have all their different ideas, this is as old as Hollywood. And if you haven't read... Uh, what makes Sammy run? The producer, Sammy, goes around. He's like, I got this idea for like a romantic movie. And each person gives him one part. And by the end, he's got a full movie. And he then says, I wrote it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it is. Um, did we have any other questions for Jonathan? If we didn't get to your questions here on the podcast, Jonathan so uh, generously has offered to go in and he's going to answer as much as he can on the Facebook page. Um, uh, but Jonathan, thank you so, so yes. much for coming in and being our first guest. Yay. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Um, well, thank you so much for having me. I love what you all are doing here. You're really creating that safe space for writers. You are answering all these questions. And so it's so generous of what you guys are doing. So thank you. I would love You're it if welcome. there's time, just a quick question as a follow-up to something earlier, if we have, yeah. um, you know, Jonathan, you were mentioning 
IP and property. Um, if you're writing a biopic, something based on a true story, but it's not directly based on like a written retelling of that story. So like if I'm writing like a Ruth Bader Ginsburg biopic and I'm using materials to research her life and then writing her life in my voice, is that mine? So I am not a copyright lawyer. Okay. So everything I say should be taken with a giant grain of salt. But if you're kind of taking Wikipedia style facts, then absolutely it's public domain. She's a public figure, even better, she's dead. So when people are dead, they don't have any, you can write whatever you want. Uh, but if you are taking big chunks from the Ruth Bader Ginsburg autobiography, that's copyrighted material. And if you have in your movie, what she whispered to Mr. Bader Ginsburg over the pillow, people will come after you for that. And I, I when I was a producer, we did um, for a hot minute or longer, the Lenny Reifenstahl uh, and movie. And my memory of, again, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, everybody go get, you know, go get your free legal advice, call the WTA, uh, is that as long as I could prove that that information was in three sources, it's considered public. But if I can only prove it's in one source, that source can come after you, right? So as long as you can show well, it was in this newspaper article and this magazine interview, and like that's a that's a public now um, thing. So then you do own it because it's your version of her life. Um, and I think it might be the only time I'm going to hear it's good that Ruth Grader Ginsburg. I did. I did. I read how little saying. Thank you. I was like, someone got the jokes. That's was a joke. It was meant with Oh my God! What did you just say? But I understand from a from a perspective. Yes. When we started the Lenny Revenstall movie, she was not dead, uh, and that was fun. Um, uh, but, okay, so thank you, Jonathan. Any oh, other questions? Anything else? Anything else? Anything else? No. Um, thank you so much. Um, amazing. And, um, again, I can't believe it. You, 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 you're our very first Yay. guest. Well, thank you. Hi. I'm so honored. Uh, Jeff, it's amazing, this show. I love what you are doing oh, here. Thanks. Thank you for inviting me. My and job is so I, easy I because all I do is just, what do we want to talk about this week? And then Megan Lorian <laughs> just spew brilliance. So it's the best. I, I, I'm really serious. I would have killed to have this when I was starting out. Like, I just, I hope people get how invaluable it is. It's just, and there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And you two are just so honest and oh. up. Thank you. And so. you guys, hey, to our listeners, please go ahead and tell us what topics you want us to talk about. Um, we're putting together our list. I've got a great list of guests that we're going to bring on. But, um, you know, we'll bring a guest every once in a while. But Lauren and I like to chat ourselves. <laughs> you know, so we're, uh, we're going to be here for topics that you guys uh, want. So go forth, writers. They went to the lava right. I think voice voice could be us. great for next week. It came up today. We had mentioned it already. Okay, maybe voice. You'll have to. You're gonna have to tune we'll in. We'll tease it. We'll tease yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Yeah, thank All you, right, Jonathan. guys. Bye. Thank you so much. So everybody, keep calm, carry on, keep writing, and we'll uh, see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Screenwriting Life. We love our community, and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash thescreenwritinglife or email us at thescreenwritinglife at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it, and not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. 
We've always been driven by mission and mentorship, and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.